thankful to be preaching 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 10. If you'll turn with me to the letter of 1 John, you'll find it in the very back of your Bible, just after 2 Peter, just before Jude and Revelation. We're very committed here at Disciples Church to be really preaching through God's Word faithfully to help you understand it and apply it to your lives and to put away much of the modern practice of making sermons much about our own ideas and trying to come up with clever ways to have an impact. God is the one who has great impact and, and His Word on your life. And so I want to uh, preach it faithfully and well and get out of the way as much as possible. Uh, I pray that if you're new or visiting with us, that the preaching of God's Word is a blessing to you. Last week was so refreshing in the encouragements of what it means to be children of God. I'll be up front with you to say that this week is, uh, is hard. Uh, the truths that we need to work through are real and sobering, but a clear understanding of them gives way to a beautiful understanding of the glory of the gospel, the amazing uh, quality of God's grace, and what He has done to save us. And so I pray that God would give us great clarity today. Look with me at our passage in a sermon that I've titled, Those Who Practice Sin. And I think you're going to understand why I've titled it that here in just a moment. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. God's good word for us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this um, this space to get together and really gather free from fear of persecution and threat, uh, as many of our brothers and sisters around the world are, are, are doing this very hour, this very day. Um, God, do your work in us. Holy Spirit, stir our soul for your truths. Bring conviction, bring, bring inspiration and motivation to, to seek you, to honor you, to, to, to worship you, to trust in you. Um, Give me clarity, uh, Lord. But more than that, I pray for the, for the ears who are hearing. I pray for each life here to, to see the gift of your word, to instruct us with truth, to correct our failed thinking about life and death and all these things, but that we would have your truth to guide us, to, to correct us and to lead us. Uh, do your mighty work, Lord, on lives who are dead in sin and full of, of self, to, to, to know you, to, to trust you and live for you the rest of their days. Do your mighty work, Lord, in us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Scripture is clear. 
everyone either practices sin or practices righteousness. Everyone is either devoted to God or devoted to the devil. Everyone will either love others selfishly or love others selflessly in Christ. In our fleshly arrogance, we can be guilty of making light of those who are dead in sin, light of the depth of their depravity, according to Scripture, and thereby creating a completely different economy or way to look at life or think about life, think about the way things work. Realize that while I can think I'm an international rock star, that doesn't make me one. We must see the the true condition of our lives, whether separated from Christ or truly knowing Him. See it clearly. We must see clearly the state of our children, the state of our friends, the state of our family, according to Scripture, not according to how we want to think about them. We have to think about these who we love, the state of those who are not truly surrendered to Christ as Lord, so that there would be a true stewardship church of our days to love them in truth, point them to Christ, to boldly speak gospel truth, which is good news in light of the bad news, instead of pandering to them while they practice the very sin that has them condemned and separated from the Holy God. Today is a sobering sermon. It is full of hard but essential truth. I pray it's for your good and and or for those that God has put around you, that he would do a mighty work in each of us. I think the worst thing is for us to remain ignorant or to know these truths and then to kind of turn a blind eye to them and just keep on going. And I pray that it might be God's will to do real business with you and or in moving you unto a bolder witness for those that God has around you in light of these things. For those of you who are not yet surrendered to Christ as Lord of your life, those whom God has ordained to be here to hear this sermon, hear me when I say that you are desperate to understand your spiritual allegiances, to desperate to understand your damned and darkened path, that you are committed to outside of Jesus. Nothing is more important in your life than this. Because your condition is most serious and must be confronted with true repentance and faith if you were to have any hope in this life or the next. And so I pray, I've been praying, it would be God's good will, perfect will, to work in you this day to bring the good news to light to bring you to a place of of real doing business with these things. I trust that God is a mighty work for each of us. And so with that, let's dive in. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. To understand this, to dive into it, we got to have a right understanding of sin, right? This is a big word. It's a church word. It's a religious word. Do we understand it? Do we know what it really means? And so let's start there. The Word of Truth Catechism, so helpful in question 33, to ask and answer, what is sin? And it says, sin is disobeying God. 
Sin is any disobedience in heart or in deed to God's perfect law and commandments. I want to take some time this morning and show you two sides of how we sin. The first is the sin of commission. The sin of commission is sin that we commit, whether in thought or word or in deed. We commit the sin. The sin of commission is the sin of actively doing what God prohibits. It is the breaking of the universal moral law. The moral law of God is given in synopsis in the famous Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, God says that we are to not have any other gods before him. To not make ourselves an idol. To make for ourselves an idol to worship falsely. To not misuse the name of the Lord our God. To remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To honor our father and mother. To not murder. To not commit adultery. To not steal. To not give false testimony. And to not covet. God's word is clear to prohibit many things that essentially fall under these major categories. And we see these things throughout the New Testament. Many scriptures speak to them. Mark 7, Romans 1, Romans 13, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 1, to name a few. And in these verses, we see clear command of God for some of the details that are really underneath the bigger umbrella I just read to you. But let me give you a taste. Let me just take a moment to read through these synopsis of all of these passages and the sins that we are not to commit. The things that God has told us not to do. Things that were prohibited. Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Coveting. Wickedness. Deceit or deception. Sensuality. Envy. Slander. Pride, foolishness, idleness, homosexuality, malice, strife, gossip, hatred of God, haughtiness, disobedience to parents, ruthlessness, orgies, drunkenness, quarreling, Jealousy, sorcery, enmity, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, and obscene talk. Church, God's will is clear and His command on mankind is clear. We're not to do these things. Can I just say right now, Praise God for His grace and the work of Christ on our place and Him changing us. This room, our church is full of people who have real history with these things. Real addiction to these things. Real givenness to them. But by God's grace, He's at work. And they're part of the old man's story, not the new. Praise God for the work He's doing in and through us. Amen? 
But we need to see His holy law is good. That we honor Him, we honor others when we honor His law. This law, His law, is above all other law. It is more authoritative than any law of any ruler or country or government. It is His perfect and holy law. And He's made it clear to us and given it to us in His written word. God's word is clear to declare that that even those with no access to the written word of God that contains God's holy law, that, that it's his law is still over all mankind. We're still commanded to obey it, and we're still guilty when we don't obey it. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 2, 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them on that day when, according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Here and elsewhere, Scripture is clear to teach us that God's law is written on on the hearts of all mankind. God makes Himself clearly known to all mankind. So we're without excuse for not worshiping Him, for not honoring the moral law that He gives to mankind, the universal moral law. So let me say that a different way. The universal moral law of God is known by all And all are accountable to it. For those who disobey the law of God, they commit what John calls lawlessness or sin. Before moving on, let me give you a more helpful clarity. It's important that a sin of commission can be intentional or unintentional. You can commit sin unintentionally. Meaning even if you weren't told that particular specific part of the law, it doesn't mean you're not guilty of breaking it. A modern example of this is if you were to travel to another country and you weren't told that they drive on the other side of the road there and so you're driving on the wrong side, you still are breaking the law. You don't get to be excused because someone didn't tell you. The law is still the law and you're still breaking it. The author of Hebrews makes it clear the atonement of our sin is needed even for the unintentional sins of fallen man. Hebrews 9.7 But unto the second, only the high priest goes, but for once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself, and for the unintentional sins of the people. The NASB translation says, for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Realize with me, church, that humanity's first sin was the sin of commission. Adam and Eve. God commanded mankind not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They took action to commit a sinful act by eating of the forbidden fruit. Back to our verse, 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So I want us to see in this first layer... John's emphasis 
for those who practice disobedience to the law. They practice sin. What we must understand is that all sin is sin. Any sin, all sin, is a transgression against the holy deserving authority of God. All sin, any single sin, is rightly due God's righteous judgment because God's holiness is our standard. Everything that is sin falls short of His holy standard. Hear me plea this morning that we should not make light in our hearts of any sin like we are so often guilty of doing. To do so is to make light of God's holy standard that is over us that we should meet all of creation, should honor the Creator in these ways. We must take all sin seriously and see that it earns us death and eternal separation from God. If there ever was an example of this, it's back to the first sin of Adam and Eve. They ate a piece of fruit. Right? I mean, we could think of a lot of things that seem far worse, far more atrocious, far more wicked. Things you've heard that fallen man has done. Eating a piece of fruit doesn't really seem to be that harmful, right? I mean, but the key is to understand who it betrays. The key that we need to have an improved view of sin and the practice of sin, we must see that what matters, what makes it a huge deal, is that it was a transgression against God. Disobedience to His clear commandment, His law. That's all that matters. Sin is sin. The thing we must stop doing is measuring sin by how we feel about it or by how we perceive the consequences were. doesn't really seem like anyone really got hurt, so maybe it's not a big deal. On another plane of sin, opposite of the sin of commission, is the sin of omission. Whoever knows the right thing to do it and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's James 4.17. The sin of omission is a sin that is the result of not doing something God's law requires of us. As His Word teaches us, we should do to glorify Him and do what's right. We omit, we leave out, we exclude. We fail to or neglect to do the good thing we should do. The sin of omission is the sin of failing to do what God requires. In the New Testament, the classic example that we can think of often is Jesus telling of the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man had been beaten severely, left on the side of the road, and these first two men passed by, a priest and a Levite, essentially men who knew better, and they failed to act. They failed to act in love and care. And A third man, a Samaritan, who in that society would be considered a great enemy of this man who was beaten, showed great compassion and love and care for him. Jesus used this to teach an example that we're to do likewise clearly communicating that it's sinful to avoid doing what is loving and kind. Again, what is sin? Sin is disobeying God. It is Sin is any disobedience in heart or deed to God's perfect law and commands. On the same page, we see this question and answer in the Catechism 
we're given two hopeful clarities that are great. Disobedience in deed and disobedience in heart. Disobedience in deed is doing or saying what God forbids or not doing or saying what God commands. Disobedience in heart is having a wrong state of mind or motivation or desire behind what we do or feel. Now watch this. This motivation is key because it, in it often lies the root of our sin. Meaning we can do a good and right thing with a wrong, selfish, or sinful motivation and it's still sin. Sin can be the obedience of God's commands for the wrong reasons. Not under the glory of God, but self or man or whatever else that might profit us. Thereby still dishonoring God. With this under our feet, look again with me at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What John is highlighting here is that the practice of sin is lawlessness. And that this cannot be the case for a true believer of Jesus. A true Christian, listen carefully, will sin. Do sin. Can even do grievous sin. A true Christian can languish in a season of immaturity and struggle. But a true Christian will not practice sin. In other words, they will not be given to sin in an unrepentant way. Consider Paul's words in Ephesians 5, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. We have to read these verses carefully. First, For you may be sure of this. In other words, you can be certain. You can know without a shadow of doubt. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous and idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. His word is here is the key. In the Greek it means to be. In other words, they are given to it. It is who they are. It is what they do. It is their practice. It's not saying they did this once. It's saying this is their identity. This is their hope. This is their satisfaction. This is their practice. And the person who practices sin, who's given to it, doesn't belong to the kingdom of God, isn't saved. See with me that that practice of sin is the opposite of being in Christ. It's the opposite of one who is given to Christ, whose very identity and hope is Christ. Paul is describing a sinner here, not a saint. He's describing those who are given to sin. Those who practice sin are in a different spiritual state. We need to see this clearly. Scripture says that they are still enslaved to their sin. They only sin. They're bound by it. They're they're enshackled to it. It's what they do. It's what they practice. So, what is the consequence or the penalty of those who practice sin? John mentions 
a few in the coming verses. Look with me at the first that we see in verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. We could say practices sin there. No one who keeps on sinning or practices sin has either seen him or known him. First, he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That's the good news of gospel transformation. The change that God does in us to give us new longings, a new will, a new desire. That we're awakened spiritually, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for the glory of God. Before new birth, before salvation, we, we never did anything under the glory of God. Even the good things we did were sinful because their aim was something other than God's glory. The one who abides in him, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. This will be a big part of our focus of next week's sermon, titled Those Who Practice Righteousness. Okay, it's part two of this passage. But for now, let's focus in part one, those who practice sin or lawlessness. Look with me at the second part of the verse, our focus today. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now notice John's pretty significant emphasis in this whole passage. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Verse 6, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Pretty big statements. Paul does this in Roman, the famous place, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In all of this, we see something very important. And that is, there is no subgroup that I think a lot of people like to think that they're in. Right? There is no subgroup that escapes the reality of being dead in sin, guilty in sin, enslaved to sin. There is only those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior who escape these damning realities. There is only another group. There is no subgroup. We're going to come back to that in a minute. I want you to see the clear teaching of God's Word. All, everyone, has a most terminal reality of enslavement and addiction to sin. Right? Praise God you're at a church preaching the Word of God, proclaiming the Gospel, because if this is you, what you need is not a self-help book or a certain amount of counseling or someone to slap you across the face. You need Jesus. You need new birth. You need a new will given by God under the glory of God. Until then, you're enslaved to sin. You just keep on sinning. All, everyone is desperate for a new birth in Christ alone. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, its consequence, so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam sinned, his inner nature is transformed by the sin of rebellion, bringing him to spiritual death and depravity, which would be passed to all who would come after him. Adam was our federal head. His original sin then infects all of us. We're all born with sin, born guilty in sin, and then we go on to commit sin. Practice sin, to commit lawlessness. This is our spiritual deadness, our being given to sin, our relentless practice of selfishness. Our spiritual death is how Scripture speaks of it. 
deserving spiritual death, deserving eternal wrath of God, the right judgment for sinners. But what's amazing is there's a layer to the consequence of our practicing sin that is worse than spiritual death and the eternal wrath of God, the suffering that will, that will endure. What's worse than spiritual death and the eternal wrath of God? It is separation from the holy God. It is not knowing Him. And this is John's point here. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. You've you got to understand that dead in sin, apart from Jesus, the only one who can save you, your sin is, is the worst problem you have in this life. It's not the abundant cancer taking over your body. It's not terrible poverty for you and your family, homelessness. Your worst problem is not the, the grossness and the betrayal of adultery. Your worst problem is not rampant sickness or mental health. Your worst problem is not disobedient children. It's not public humility. Your worst problem by far is that you are separated from the holy God because of your sin. You've got to do real business with this today. It's in love I try to speak clearly of what God's Word teaches here. Because we're often guilty about worrying about trivial things compared to this. Temporary things. Thinking they're our real problem when they're not. Sin is. Consider with me the things that people often lose sleep over in this life. Things that fill them with anxiety, worry. Things like the state of their health. The status of their job or employment or lack thereof. Separation from a beloved family member or friend. Maybe how you look. Maybe the loss of a very precious ability or something you've done well for a long time. But all of that you must see is temporary. Your separation from God because of your sin is eternal. And there is no greater consequence. Matthew 10.28 Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. To be worried about temporary things is, is to not be worried about the right thing. Not the true thing. Not, not the biggest problem. It's so important that we see our sin. We see our offense before the Holy God. That we see that it's not small. The list is long. The list is deep. And when we sin, we commit cosmic treason against the Holy God. You realize treason in our land is like the highest offense with some of the worst penalty attached to it. Our sin against what God is due is treason to the King of Kings. The Holy God of all creation. 
Those who keep on sinning, or as John said in verse 6, those who practice sin prove to not know Christ. Not know Him. Now, watch this. It doesn't mean they don't know about Him. It doesn't mean they just know that they don't know Him with their minds. And so you're like, well, I understand who He is, so I must be good. No, that's not what this is talking about. There's many examples in Scripture of professional sinners who know a lot about Jesus. But they don't know Him personally. They don't trust themselves to Him as Savior and Lord. The demons are the best example of this. Mark 1.24, we hear a testimony of a demon spirit who says to Jesus, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Other pastors say that they rightly tremble in His presence. There's a righteous fear of knowing who He is. But that's where it stops. All of the demons are damned forever. There is no repentance. There is no salvation. So John is not getting at head knowledge. We don't know about Him. And they're not, and he's not getting at physical eyes, having not seen him physically. Jesus is clear to say, many who walked with him rejected him, don't know him. We'll see, we'll see testimony of that in just a moment. No, those who practice sin do not see him with the eyes of their soul. They, they do not know him personally, right? To, to, to know someone is different than knowing about them or even having been around them a little bit. That's different than knowing someone in relationship. Those who are saved unto eternal life, those whom Jesus are those who Jesus describes in his high priestly prayer. This critical moment before the cross, Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17. And listen to his words, verse 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's describing that highest prize of all prizes, that is to know God. Back to what I was saying earlier, to practice sin, to be dead in sin, is to not know Him. This is the worst consequence that there is. Jesus describes the spiritual deadness of those still dead in sin and separated from God as he's talking to the disciples in Matthew 13. He says their eyes are closed, their spiritual eyes are closed. To you who are saved, you have been given new birth and true belief. Listen to his words, Matthew 13, 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Jesus says in John 10, 27-28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See with me. To see and know God is the prize of all prizes. It's the satisfaction that is beyond all comparison. 
The opposite is true. Those who practice sin are those who do not see God. They do not know Him, which is the penalty of all penalties beyond all comparison. For He is life. He is eternal satisfaction. Those who are dead in sin prove so by their unrepentant practice of sin to not have spiritual eyes to see and to prove to not know Christ personally. Listen to the way that God's Word speaks of these kinds of things. that we can get The kinds of things we can get excited about in this life and really prove to, to be like, yeah, things are going good. But none of them compare to knowing God. Jeremiah 9, 23-24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. In these things I delight, declares the Lord. On the flip side, there is no more sobering reality than to be told that Jesus doesn't know you. Those famous words of his in Matthew 7, 22 23. On that day, Jesus says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Catch with me how he describes them. He says, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is John's point. No one who keeps on sinning, who practices sin, has either seen him or known him. See, what he's combating in this culture and writing this letter is an infiltration of false teaching. People who seem to have like the right ideas and people are potentially being conflated or deceived. And John's loving the church to say, Jesus is the truth, the gospel. There is no other gospel. He's bringing clarity as to who belong to the Lord and who don't. These are, these are posers. They're not saved. They're not trusting in Jesus. They might be telling you what you need to hear. They're not. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. They prove with their relentless pursuit of the flesh and their unwillingness to truly repent and know and trust in Jesus alone. The judgment for these who remain in unrepentant place is the worst anyone can know in this lifetime or the next. Paul's words, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. The price we owe for our guilt and sin is truly mankind's worst problem in this life and the next. Spiritual death, eternal suffering, separation now and forever from a holy God. This is Jesus' point. The very famous scripture 
Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? And I spoke to both the youth and the adults in the room first hour to press the tempter, the deceiver, just as he did with Adam, Adam failed, just as he did with Christ, Christ did not. He will offer you crazy temptation. Things that your flesh, it just looks so good. Surely I must have this. Surely I can't pass this up. This would just be too sweet. I can't believe it. I'm being offered the world. I'm being offered this strength. I'm being offered this access. I'm being offered this pleasure. Jesus' point is, if you're offered all of it, what good is it if your soul is dead and damned? None. It's temporary. It's guise. It's deception. It's Satan at his best to make it look so good. And it is, it is nothing but death and suffering behind it. He will use you and throw you away. No amount of treasure, fame, satisfaction in this life will ever match the joy and satisfaction of knowing God personally and spiritually with our soul. Now look with me at verse 8. Another sobering reality for those who practice sin. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Paul spoke of these realities well in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, speaking to Christians about their former state when dead in sin, practicing sin. Listen to his description. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, in which you once practiced, following the course of this world. Do you realize this is the normal for this world. I'm going to circle back to that point in a minute. A lot of our justification in our flesh is like, what? but this is what everyone's doing. Right? So it can't, it can't be that bad. I'm not alone being guilty of this. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Those who practice sin are, are actively committed to following the prince of the power of the air, the devil. Satan is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? Those who are practicing sin. Those who are not yet surrendered to the Lord Jesus. They're, they're unrepentantly given to disobedience. On their own perspective, they might be trying to do what's good or trying to do what's right. They might be trying to make a good wave with their life. But they're still enslaved to sin and do God's wrath because of sin, are separated from God because of their sin. Jesus speaks to this so clearly in pointing out the depravity of his Jewish audience in Romans, I mean in John 8. Jesus is talking to the hierarchy of 
the Jewish people. I mean, these are men respected in that time and day, in that community. Okay? They're declared by Jesus to be devoted to the devil in denying Jesus as Lord and their practices of sin. Watch John 8, 41. Jesus says, you're doing the works your father did. These are people who felt very self-righteous, felt like they had it all figured out. A few verses later in John 8, 44, he makes it clear. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. I mean, can we just be honest? That's something you never want to be told. That is a grand statement. It is so grand that likely in our flesh, many hearers would just deny it. Like what you're saying, I'm of my father, the devil. That, that's not me. I'm a good person. Like surely there are some crazy, wicked, just sick and twisted people who worship Satan and do really jacked up stuff. But that's not me. But we have to understand what is being said here critically this morning. I want you to see it's not extreme. You need to see that to be a son or daughter of the devil is very normal among a fallen world. When we say this looks normal and what everyone else is doing, that much of that is the life of the person dead in sin, living for their selfishness, living for their flesh, living for the devil. You don't have to have pentagrams and crazy stuff to be serving him. That's the point. Like that's one of his deceptions is to like take stuff out to the margins. To make you think that all the all the stuff in the middle isn't that when it is. It's common. It's not out in the margins. It's right in the middle of the lost culture we live in. The reality of Scripture is clear to say you belong to one of two spiritual families. Your spiritual father is either the devil or your spiritual father is God. You belong to one or the other. You serve one or the other. Paul was clear to say all of us who are now saved in Christ and adopted into God's family and belonging to God as children of God, as we studied last week, We all were once of the old, living in sin, serving the enemy. But here's the thing. If this is the truth, then the worst thing you could want to do is to play light with this. The worst thing you could do is want to say, let me just be done hearing about this. I just don't want to live here. If this is the truth, the denial of that reality is the worst thing you could ever do, is to turn from it. Instead of to lean in, what does God's word reveal about these things? If this is really my description, if this is really the diagnosis of my spiritual life, then I'm a fool to walk out of here and say, ah, let's just live as if it's not true. Jesus says, those still practicing sin, those still without faith in Jesus, transformation to trust in Jesus, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. These people claim to be good. They claimed allegiance even to God with their mouths, but their actions proved otherwise. 
we will be enslaved to sin or we will be enslaved to Christ. Romans 6. Take a moment this morning. Take serious inventory. For you, when you wake up, what's the longing of your days? What are you living for? Who are you living to please? Whose dreams are you living to fulfill? Who are you obeying? What are your priorities and why? Are they selfish? Are they fleshly? Are they temporal? Therefore sinful? Are, are they... Are they of the Lord? They're honoring God. They're, they're serving Christ. They're eternal. That doesn't mean we don't work hard at our job. It doesn't mean we don't drive a nice car. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy a good steak dinner. It means when we do those things in this life, we do them under the glory of God. They're not, they're not our treasure. They're not our satisfaction. They're not why we do what we do. He's saying there is no middle ground of acceptable living like we in our culture wants to often say there is. See, many people think about life and culture that there's really bad people. Okay, they're willing to say, yeah, those people are of the devil. They're rotten. And there's really good people over here. Man, those people are definitely with God. But, But then there's a lot of people in between. And they're not really surrendered to Jesus as Lord, but, but, they're, but they're still living good and productive lives. And if we're honest, society loves to put most people in the middle. Maybe this is even the way you've thought about this as well. Maybe you even still consider yourself to be kind of in that middle group. And I, I just want to love you enough according to Scripture, not according to my preference or, or what I'm trying to tell you, There is no middle group. What Jesus is saying here is so critical, it must be understood. If you're not a child of God, if you're not redeemed by the blood of Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, to be adopted into His family, redeemed by Jesus' blood, surrender to live for Him in His glory, And instead, you're living for your own glory, you're living for the glory of your kids or temporary pleasures. You're a child of the devil. You're not a child of God. That's your spiritual reality. John is clear. There's only two groups. There's only two teams. There's only two spiritual fathers. You know and serve one or the other. There is no middle ground. Hear this in John's words in the synopsis of this very passage. Verse 10, look with me. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Can I just say, if you're newer with us, what's not being said there is practice perfection. God's call on us is perfection. It's the holiness of God. We won't meet that standard by our own efforts. That's why the gospel of Jesus is so amazing. Because Jesus meets that standard for us to be reconciled to God. Those of us who are caught up by Him and, 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 and trust our lives to Him, we now grow in His Word and the work of the Spirit and the beauty of walking in the body of Christ to mature in our faith to grow and do what is more and more righteous in our days. 
And the key is, instead of practicing sin without real confession and repentance, we will confess our sin and we will turn from it unto what glorifies God. That's the difference. Because of the power of Christ. Not because this church or these people are holier than everyone else and we've figured it all out. No, it's all desperate for Jesus. Amen? We've got to see that. Last week in the early verses of chapter 3, we got to see this encouragement that the saved saints are loved by God, that we're children of God. And I pray that truth is resonating in your soul in a way that is just so sweet. It's causing you to still praise Him, continually praise Him. Following these open encouragements in verse 1 through 3, these following verses, 4 through 10, notice John is still loving his audience to help them have no confusion about who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So they're not deceived. They're not taken by the schemes of the enemy and by wolves in sheep's clothing. The evidence of one's spiritual standing will be seen in their practices, will be seen by their fruit. So hear me again clearly. We don't earn change in our spiritual condition by our practices. That's works-based religion. It does not work that way. We show evidence in whom we belong to by our practices, by the fruit of God at work in us, or the absence of Christ. And so we just do what's under the flesh. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Everyone who remains in their sin belongs to Satan, unless God saves them by his amazing grace. Unless God gives you a new heart. Unless God lays upon you the righteousness of Christ, you are dead in sin, enslaved to your sin, and depraved to do nothing but sin. I just, again, I want to say, you can't play lightly with this today. You can't afford to struggle to hear it and maybe be tempted to kind of just turn away. Let's go find a church that just doesn't talk about these parts of Scripture. It's just easier to be there. All of God's Word is a blessing, church. He is perfect. He's given it all to us to raise us, to, to, to grow us, to, to shape us and convict us. We must see the stark reality so there's no confusion of the man-made way that, that we like to spin this stuff up and declare it to be different than what God says about it. We must see clearly so we have church a bold testimony of truth in love. All who are not born again of God, adopted into God's family by the blood of His Son, are the sons of disobedience, are the children of wrath, are in their sin, they belong to the devil. So I want to love you enough to help you with another layer of this. What this means is that your family, your friends, who have not professed faith, not submitted their lives to Christ, it means they're not doing okay like we want to kind of often make ourselves feel good about it. They're not doing okay if they have good grades. They're not doing okay if they have great skills on the ball field. 
that they're not doing okay if they have awesome manners and interacting with other people. That they're not doing okay if they've got an awesome job and a beautiful spouse and kids. They're not doing okay outside of Christ. Because they're separated from God and His righteous wrath is due their sin. Spiritually, they're followers of the devil. And all of this is just, it's not to be mean. It's just to speak what is real according to the one who is truth. It's not meant to be unfair. Quickly, it's exactly what they deserve outside of Jesus' blood to make them clean. Outside of the only one who can give them grace and salvation. And and there it is. All of this points to only one solution. No amount of religion, no playbook of moral conformity, no like mountain you got to go climb to get right. You are desperate for the work of another. Jesus. Listen to John's words in verse 8 again. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That was prophesied about at the fall of man. Adam and Eve sin. God steps in, declares war on Satan. He says, her seed will defeat you. You're going to put hurt on him, but he's going to win. And you're going to get your head crushed. The proclamation of the gospel, the first proclamation, it's called the Proto-Evangelion. In human history, God proclaims a, a champion will come to save many. And so, to conclude today, look back with me at verse 5. For there is good news. There is real hope. It's found in one person. John, 1 John 3, 5, You know that He, speaking of Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. The great news is greater than any other good news you can be given because it answers your biggest problem in this life and the next. There is a champion who came in all perfection without sin. He crushed Satan. He defeated him. And in this, He unshackles the chains of the enslavement of many in their sin. And they believe in Him. They trust their lives to Him. And they're forgiven. God sees Jesus' blood covering undeserving sinners. He sees Jesus' righteousness on us. Jesus takes on our deserved wrath on Him. That's what He did on the cross. And we are forgiven. And we are adopted into God's family The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us and we do then what is righteous. We pursue God and His Word. We love His church. We grow in these truths. We raise our children to know these truths. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of that passage I was reading earlier, John 8, in verse 36. He says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus, the hope found only in Jesus. God is adopting sons and daughters. He's rescuing them this very day around the world. He's giving them a new heart, saving faith to trust in Him. The ability to no longer be enslaved to sin, but to practice what is righteous. 
delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. And so today, if you're hearing this, and if for whatever reason, in God's mighty providence, he is giving you eyes to see and ears to hear this, that you see your sin, you see your guilt before God, and you see the beauty of what God has done to give you something you don't deserve. The scriptures call you to repent and believe. That is to confess your sin before God and to believe into Jesus, meaning not just to believe about him, but to trust your life to him. Jesus says later, those who really are my disciples are those who take up their cross and die to themselves. There is a real reality by which you stop being the Lord of your life. Jesus is now the Lord of your life. You die to self and, and you give yourself to him. You might, you might go, and Pastor, you don't know the stuff I've done, the depth of that, that list you read earlier. I'm all over that thing. Those longings are still, are still things I struggle with. And that's the point. Until you're alive in Christ, you remain in practice sin, enslaved to sin. By God's grace alone and God's timing alone does He give you faith to repent and believe and be saved. Jesus said, John 14, 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? He is it. It's Him. He's the only one who paid for all our sin, past, present, and future sin. Do you want to know truth? Do you want to see through the deception? You must know Christ. You need Jesus and become a child of God. Praise God for His grace to save many. To adopt us into His family. This is good news, especially when we have a fuller view of who we were outside of Christ. This is why the church worships Him. This is why we love this time. And so for you who are outside of Christ... You are desperate to see your sin, and even more so for God to give you eyes and ears to see and savor the Savior, to repent and believe and be saved. If that's you, if you have questions about that, you need to do business with that, the best thing, I promise you, the greatest blessing of any who are here who love Jesus would be for you to pull them aside and say, can we spend some time talking that out? I got questions. I got concerns. I got things I don't understand. They will be like, yes, yes, and yes, when, when, when. Clear the schedule. This is the greatest thing ever. And we want to walk with you. We want to seek the Lord with you. That would be our great joy unto celebrating with you new birth. I want you to hear the testimony of so many people in the room. Professional sinners of those things we saw earlier. Saved, redeemed, unto new life and forever life with Christ. To close, before we sing, I just want to say, church, we have to not take these things lightly for the sake of those that God puts around us. That our testimony would be bold, would be full of truth and love. That we'd really love the people God's put in our life to let them see the true gospel, the good news in light of the bad news. And this is much of what he's done for us today. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship God. Um, with a pretty special song, special to our church, about the testimony we see in the New Testament of a blind beggar who God was at work on a, on a day by which Jesus walked by to give him saving faith. 
and realizing that all the things his hope was once in were all worthless. It was eyes to see and ears to hear to trust Jesus that he needed by which he saved. And we who know this gospel, we love singing it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day that you have made, this time that we've had together to study your good word. The blessing it is to us to to move away from the traditions we've been raised in, to move away from our self-conjecture ideas of how these things should work, and to look to you who is truth, the creator. We are the creation. To, to, To be blessed by your holy word, your enduring word, to be witnesses of so many whose lives have just been transformed through and through. We celebrate the truth that in Christ we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We join with Paul as he says in Romans 8, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is truly good news. Do your work in all who are here. Be worshipped as we celebrate you together in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.